Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. My name is Mike Wood. I am your host. And today I am joined by the wonderful Sarah Payne. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Mike. So, Sarah, you talked to Dr. Steven Rogelberg this week, and I believe we have a great episode for people. It is all about the science of meetings. That's right. He studies meetings, and we all hate meetings. Yeah, I can only imagine that the the one thing that's worse than being in meetings all the time is studying meetings. <laughs> well, he actually shares some really interesting tidbits, but the thing that was most interesting to me is that people complain about being in too many meetings, but you know what's worse than not then what's worse than being in too many meetings is not being invited to meetings because then you feel excluded. You'd feel like you're being left out and you're missing something. Yeah, it's the same with like wedding season. Like you could have, <laughs> you, you complain that you have like five or six weddings in one year, but if you don't get invited, then that it's shows what you, where you stand. And then one other thing I really liked about our conversation was he introduced this idea of social loafing. Social loafing. <laughs> Do you want to know I what love that it. is? Yes. So when there are too many people in a meeting, social loafing occurs. You just start to fall into the background and not really engage <laughs> in the conversation because because there's too many people. So oh, well, I do that if there's <laughs> there's just a normal amount of people. Right. In the meeting, so he so. gives some tips for combating that in meetings. Well, this is interesting. So so he, listen to our conversation with Dr. Steven Rogelberg. He's going to be at Work Human this year, which if you have been under a rock is coming up. It's in uh, March 18th through 21st in Nashville. You can visit www.workhuman.com to get your tickets and we hope to see you there. We're going to have uh, Work Human Radio live there so you'll be able to see us. We'll be in kind of like a class enclosed futuristic studio. It's great. I'm, I'm really excited about it as you can tell. So enjoy our interview. Thank you, Sarah, for jumping on the phone with Dr. Steven Rogelberg. <laughs> this is great talking to you, Mike. So first, Steven, I just want to say uh, thank you for joining us on Work Human Radio. Oh, it's totally a pleasure to uh, to be here. So I thought we could start with a bit of background on your current work at the University of Carolina, Charlotte. Sure. Um, well, I wear a, a whole host of different hats in my professional world. Uh, I'm currently a chancellor's professor of organizational science, management and psychology. I'm an editor of the journal Business and Psychology and the Talent Management Essentials book series. I do a lot of outreach for nonprofits. I have my own private practice. But what is most exciting to me right now is um, my role as a meeting science scholar. And I love doing research on the topic and sharing my knowledge with leaders and organizations, um, along with evidence-based practices to make things better. It's, and it's such an important topic because it, meetings are central to how we work today. So, you know, before we jump in, I thought you could tell our listeners briefly about your new book, The Surprising Science of Meetings, and why you wrote it. Absolutely. I would love to. Um, you know, as I reflect, this book is really um, a culmination of, you know, 15 years of research, uh, thousands of surveys and interviews um, really across the globe. Um, and the book is it's a large collection of evidence-based insights 
truly designed to move the dial on meetings. And it goes way beyond the conventional wisdom that's, you know, the generic wisdom of having an agenda. Instead, it represents a strategic approach that leaders and organizations can take that's highly practical and accessible, but also strongly based in science. And it's, it's a quick read. Um, and it's peppered with kind of these key research findings and even best practices from organizations like Google and Amazon that also align with this research. And if I kind of had to sum it up, it's like a giant TED Talk uh, meant to get leaders excited to try a few new things on this often complained about work activity, the meeting. Um, and I guess the, the other part of your question is uh, why I wrote the book. And, you know, I, I would probably say um, because after 15 years of research and working with so many organizations on meetings, um, I had a lot to say on this crazy topic. Um, and folks are looking for evidence, uh, not just opinion. Um, you know, they're clearly frustrated by meetings and they want help. Um, and I wanted to help meet these needs in a really meaningful way, um, not just speculation, but, you know, just good science, um, ways that have not been discussed to date. And that's what led me to the book. I love that. And I, when you first started talking, you mentioned, you know, the wisdom that oh, if you have an agenda, it's an, an effective meeting. And I think we all know that even if you have an agenda, that doesn't mean that anybody sticks to it. So I'm excited to learn more. Um, you know, we, you talked about people's frustration with meetings and meeting burnout, you know, running from meeting to meeting throughout the day, never having time to work. So would the world be a better place without meetings? Well, um, yes, people are definitely expressing so much frustration about meetings. You know, it's clearly identified as one of the biggest sources of complaint, often identified as the number one time waster at work. But a world without meetings is much more problematic. You know, meetings are just critical. Um, besides being essential to communication and coordination, meetings are where organizational democracy, individual voice, and overall feelings of inclusion can come to life. Meetings in many ways represent represent an evolution in organizations since the early 20th century when command and control systems dominated. It's a recognition that people together can do great and innovative things. It's a recognition that a diversity of perspectives and ideas matters. It's a recognition that doing activities to engender employee buy-in and consensus is critical to motivation, perseverance, and resilience. So if we didn't have meetings, all these tremendous benefits couldn't emerge. And it would create so many more problems for workers and the organization itself. So overall, I would say eliminating meetings is a false goal. Eliminating bad meetings, though, is the goal. Very true. You know, you say in your book that the one thing people like less than meetings is not being invited to meetings. So could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So it's a funny thing. Um, you know, people definitely complain about having too, meeting, too many meetings, but not being asked to attend a meeting can cause even more anxiety as it can trigger feelings of inclusion, exclusion and feelings of marginalization. So this creates quite a dilemma, um, especially because as meetings increase in size, they get worse and worse and worse. And, you know, too many attendees in a meeting can actually reduce their effectiveness because there are too many voices. There's logistical challenges and even something called social loafing. 
And social loafing is this fascinating concept that when we're in the presence of a lot of individuals, um, we basically just start to kind of think into the background and not fully engage or contribute. Um, so, you know, our mission is clear. We need lean meetings. We want meetings to not be flush with so many people. We don't want spectators. But at the same time, we also want to not create feelings of exclusion. And we can do that. Um, we can find the right balance and determine which people should attend. And the first step is, you know, returning to the meeting goals you've outlined and really think about who exactly has to be there and go for the smallest number of people possible. Clearly, you don't want to have just spectators. More is not merrier. Um, in fact, you know, meetings beyond, you know, 10 people are just so tricky um, and, you know, to facilitate. So what are some practical approaches to kind of finding this sweet spot? So first of all, consider inviting people for part of the meeting, but not all of the meeting. If you have a good agenda, well, there's no reason you can't assign time to various items so that people can kind of time their entry and time their exit so people can be there for when it's relevant for them to be there. Another technique is representative voices, that if you assign someone a role of representing a set of stakeholders, you know, they will own that. And so it's a way of keeping meetings lean. You know, this person's representing, you know, this stakeholder group, and therefore you don't need multiple individuals from that stakeholder group. Another nice approach is to kind of consider this idea of core members versus secondary members. And secondary members are those nice-to-have people, but they're really not needed. And for these individuals, it's best to kind of approach them, give them a personal explanation that you're having this meeting, but, you know, that it's the agenda, most of the topics aren't directly tied to that individual, but still give them an opportunity for input. Um, so ask them, hey, if you have any input that you'd like to provide on X, I'd love to hear it. But then also guarantee them that you will provide them with the meeting minutes when it's done. And also invite, tell them that they can change their minds at any point. If they want to come to future meetings, that's totally fine. But if people are given pre-meeting voice and they're provided with the minutes, they generally will be more than delighted not to attend the meeting. <laughs> so you're basically providing inclusion with, mm -hmm. and you're not creating exclusion, but you're still kind of keeping the meeting small. You know, and the bottom line is, you know, anytime an unneeded member is not there, if handled well, you're saving money, time, and reducing frustration. Mm -hmm. I think those, those tips are great, especially, you know, the secondary members of the meeting and setting time within a meeting. I've never I've never really seen that, um, you know, a meeting divided up into different stages. And I think that's really great advice. Um, and it's actually, it's very easy to do. I mean, so sometimes they'll, you know, when you have, you know, particular individuals that are not needed for the most of the meeting, you make it like the last agenda item. So they can come at a particular time and then leave with everyone else. Or mm -hmm. they make it the first agenda item. So you cover that and then they can disband. Especially if that's coming from the meeting organizer, it makes it okay. I think... If it's not set out at the onset, people feel rude, you know, getting up and leaving in the middle of a meeting. Right, um, right. What about, um, you know, how can meeting organizers make people feel more included, especially uh, remote workers, which, you know, I think that population is just increasing as sure. companies are becoming more comfortable with flexible working arrangements. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, if we're calling a meeting together, um, you know, we clearly want, 
people's voices to emerge. That's the, the you know, the research in diversity is clear. Um, you know, when we have diversity of thought and ideas, you know, much better things happen, more creativity, more innovation, lots of things. So we want to get people involved and truly feeling included. So what are some techniques to consider? So here are some things that um, align with the research um, as well as practice. So one technique is to assign agenda owners to particular topics and assign those owners. Um, you know, these pretty, could be people who tend to be shy, but still are experts around the topic. So sometimes leaders think that they have to be the one owning each agenda, agenda item. But I think it's a wonderful technique to actually bring others in. So item X gets assigned to Jane, um, item Z gets assigned to Sasha. And by assigning those items, you know, they're going to take ownership and contribute uh, more. So that's one nice technique. Another nice thing is that if you have individuals that tend to be more reserved, well, if you speak to them before the meeting and basically kind of prime the pump, you tell them, hey, I really would like your contributions on this, it's they're much more likely to provide it. Um, so that's another technique. A third technique, which is really, it truly works, is when you have an open-ended question that you want to ask at the meeting, let's say that you're looking to brainstorm, a great way to do it is actually get people into dyads. Let people kind of engage in this thought uh, creation task working with a partner. Because when you're working with a partner, you obviously have to talk. And then if you're a shy person, what typically happens when people are reporting out is that the less shy person will start to become an advocate for these ideas. So dyadic work can be really energy giving. It could be a lot of fun and provide lots of um, additional content. You know, another kind of nice, nice technique, and I love this in particular for remote employees, is that, you know, prior to a meeting, there's nothing stopping us from, you know, collecting ideas um, from individuals, let's say through Google Doc or Qualtrics, and then taking all the ideas collected that people provided individually and then actually just sharing them. So, you know, once there's a lot of people who will feel much more comfortable kind of providing that input, perhaps anonymously, and then you can put it on a slide and then people can talk about it that way. You know, related to this, something that I love, um, and there's a number of innovative organizations doing this, is there's some great uh, technology that you can use with your cell phone that you can put ideas or options up on a screen and people can vote um, for um, an idea using their phone and it can be completely anonymous. Um, so it's a nice way of truly testing whether you actually have consensus because you'll be getting everyone's voice. And just a couple others come to mind. You know, one is, you know, we all know about kind of assigning people a devil's advocate role um, as kind of a way of getting them included and providing a unique perspective. Well, you can actually assign people even other roles. I've seen it work where you assign person that say the role of a customer or you assign a different role. But, you know, this is another way of kind of getting people hmm. engaged and energized. And I say, I think the final thing that I'll mention is, you know, to leverage periods of silence. You know, people actually, um, if you're in a meeting and let's say you're, again, let's say you're generating ideas. If you actually tell people to generate these ideas in silence, just writing down ideas, and then those are collected and all put together into this master document or um, of ideas, 
people actually generate a whole host, almost twice as many ideas in that setting than they do by verbalizing as a team. And this is really profound, right? So this idea that silence can be a technique for generating more ideas, right, where people don't feel the same pressures to kind of blend in, um, they don't feel pressures to conform. So silence in meetings can actually be a way of getting more involvement. I, I like that because a lot of times you find, especially with brainstorming meetings, you want to fill the silence and the person that's most comfortable speaking uh, tends to be the one that speaks most often. It doesn't mean right. they're the person with the best ideas. I'm, I've definitely done a lot of reading on Susan Cain, so I'm all about introvert, you know, yeah. representing the introverts in the room. So, uh, you know, at Global Force, we're all about building a culture of positivity. So do you have advice for setting that positive tone at the beginning of a meeting? So I do. Uh, so first of all, leaders need to recognize that, you know, meetings are often experienced as kind of like interruptions, right? They're taking people away from their other activities um, that they were engaged in or maybe that they would want to be engaged in. And when people experience interruptions, it, it, it definitely has a negative effect on their well-being. So people are coming into meetings with not in the best frame of mind. So what can a leader do to turn that around and help people feel fully present? And there's definitely things to do. Um, so first of all, a leader needs to internalize that they are actually a host. And as a host, you should actively greet individuals as they come in, you know, help them feel welcome, appreciated, and needed. So even saying, hey, you know, Gordon, do you know Jane? And helping folks make those connections. So kind of internalizing that host role is really, really important. You know, the leader needs to remain upbeat and positive. Too often you hear people start their meeting kind of just building into, you know, the meeting hell lament. Like, oh, I'm sorry, we have to meet again. But a leader should be more optimistic. They should really be grateful that everyone's there and see, help frame meeting as this nice opportunity for voice. I've even seen meeting leaders play with music, you know, where they actually have music on when people come into the conference room. Um, that's really intriguing, and that kind of helps people make the separation. And then right when the meeting starts, they turn the music off. You know, so starting the meeting with passion, enthusiasm, voice, and direction, making it clear why people are there, all helps people get into the right mindset. And when in doubt, one of the best predictors of meeting satisfaction that we have found across the globe are snacks. Very as true. As it sounds, um, people like snacks. Uh, I don't think you should have snacks every meeting, but, you know, surprising people every once in a while with a little snack is a great way of getting people into a better mindset and more positive mood. And what's interesting, the research also shows that when people are in a more positive mood, they're more open-minded, they're more receptive mm -hmm. to feedback, they're more creative, and they're more engaged. Very true. And I'm, personally, I think a rule should be if you set a meeting between 12 and 1, you provide lunch. <laughs> That's just <Sure>. me, though. <laughs> so do you have any final evidence-based tips for making meetings really work? Hmm. So I, let me leave you with a few. Um, so first of all is the recognition from the leader that mindset truly matters. You know, we know from the research that preparatory mindset is a key predictor of athletic performance, 
um, educational success and either in even a leader's effectiveness. So a leader just needs to kind of fully embrace that they are a facilitator of an experience, that they are, they are a steward of others' time. And when you think about it that way, that you are actually a steward of others' time, designing an experience, then you're going to be much more thoughtful in how you approach it. Too often, we see meetings happening out of habit where that leader is just kind of dialing it in and doing the same thing. They're truly not owning that their role is a steward of others' time. So really kind of pushing that mindset is a key to creating kind of this practices of good meeting behavior. And by the way, like preparing, like with that mindset, you know, preparing for a meeting might just take five minutes. but it's often the case that people don't even spend that five minutes to really think about the meeting experience. A second thing to, that I'd, I'd want to mention is, you know, thinking carefully about meeting time. So remember Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law is this idea that work expands to whatever time is allotted to it. So if you schedule an hour for something, magically it takes an hour. So we can actually use this to our advantage. We can back off meeting time, right? We can make a meeting 48 minutes, and lo and behold, it will be done in 48. But, you know, when you back off meeting time, you're really saving. When you think about how many meetings there are, you're really providing a nice return back to individuals. Also, by kind of backing off this time, you're creating some additional healthy pressure, and this is a positive as well, that humans respond well with moderate levels of pressure. They seem to perform optimally. So thinking carefully about meeting time is another uh, key piece. And I guess the final thing that I want to bring up is be aware of your own blind spot. You know, in multiple studies I've conducted, uh, we have found that leaders consistently rated meetings more favorably than non-leaders. So a leader's experience of the meeting appears to be fundamentally different than the experiences of the other attendees, with leaders thinking, well, they're going quite well. And so this inflated perception of, of meetings, you know, prevents us from readily developing and improving and honing our skills. Um, and this, in turn, results in meeting attendees often experiencing frustrations and tremendous stress. So given this, um, what a leader needs to do is truly check in with folks. You know, sadly, most organizations aren't helping with this. If you look at their engagement surveys and 360 surveys, you don't see content around meetings. Um, this is something that I've been working with organizations on. So thus, a leader is kind of left to their own devices uh, to create uh, self-awareness. And the best way of doing that is to periodically, uh, for your kind of regularly occurring meetings, is to, you know, do a two-minute survey um, where you mm -hmm. ask individuals, you know, what's going well? Um, what's in need of improvement? What suggestions do you have? And gather that feedback. And this is a really powerful thing. You will learn things that will make you a better steward of others' time. And at the very least, given this blind spot, be aware of signals of bad meetings. So if attendees are on their phones throughout their meeting, you know, engaging in a host of side conversations or allowing you to do all the talking, change is warranted. Yeah, I love that. I think you know, the idea of feedback is really important, too. It's something we talk a lot about at Global Force and 
people don't readily give feedback, but, you know, if the leader puts themselves out there and asks for it, I think people will appreciate um, that channel of communication. So we're very excited to have you at Work Human next year, where you'll be sharing more about the surprising science of meetings. And something that we like to ask all of our Work Human speakers is, uh, what does a more human workplace mean to you? Hmm. What does a more human workplace mean to me? Well, um, ultimately, you know, people are the driving and sustaining engine for organizational success. Um, yes, a new innovative product or service can bring a quick win, but long-term viability depends on continued innovation and excellent execution. And the human capital of any organization is key to sustained success. It must be nurtured, developed, treated well, honored, and managed effectively at all levels of the organization. People truly matter. I love that. And we, we certainly agree at Global Force. Thanks for chatting with me today, Stephen. You're very welcome. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at WorkHuman March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019. 